Take your Bible to Isaiah chapter 3. That was beautiful. Thank you. I want to preach to our church tonight. I really do. I did not plan on a whole lot of extra people here. I figured it would be our church. But I want to preach a sermon tonight called America Needs Revival. America Needs Revival. Isaiah chapter 3, we're going to start reading in verse number 4. You follow along silently. And I will give children to be their princes, and babes shall rule over them. That's not talking about pretty ladies either. <laughs> and the people shall be oppressed, every one by another, and every one by his neighbor. The child shall behave himself proudly against the ancient, and the base against the honorable. When a man shall take hold of his brother of the house of his father, saying, Thou hast clothing, be thou our ruler. Let this ruin be under thy hand. And that day shall he swear, saying, I will not be an healer. For in my house is neither bread nor clothing. Make me not a ruler of the people. For Jerusalem is ruined and Judah is fallen because their tongue and their doings are against the Lord. Now listen to this, to provoke the eyes of his glory, to show their countenance doth witness against them, and they declare their sin as Sodom, they hide it not. Woe unto their soul, for they have rewarded evil unto themselves. Say ye to the righteous that it shall be well with him, for they shall eat the fruit of their doings. Woe unto the wicked. It shall be ill with him, for the reward of his hands shall be given him. Let's pray. Holy Spirit of God, I need you tonight. Would you allow the Holy Spirit to work in each and every person's heart tonight? Lord, revival is not going to start because of lost people. It'll start because of your people. It's not going to start because of the liberals. It'll be started because of people that believe right. Lord, I pray that you'd allow the Holy Spirit to do his work in an extra special, extra powerful way tonight, please. In Jesus' name, amen. I love America. I really do. I did not join the military when I was a teenager. I believed that God wanted me to preach, and I believed I could do more for my country by serving God and trying to get America back to God than I could with a with a weapon on a foreign on a foreign land or being trained by our military I joined God's army I did not join man's army but I believe in our our armed forces I believe in our people who have served I thank God for him by the way I've got a son that's in he's a airman a senior airman in the air force I'm proud of that I have no problem saying that I respect all who have served and who are serving. I've been preaching by the end of this month. It will be the 43rd anniversary. It's hard to believe. America, as well as the rest of the world, is getting worse and worse. God told us that it would. He said in the last days before the coming of our Lord, it would wax worse and worse. 
I still believe America is the greatest land on earth, though. She might be sick, but she's still better than those that are well. America has her problems, but she's still the greatest land on earth. I still believe in America. I still believe there's hope. I still believe that if God's going to do something in our nation, in our world, it's going to start because of the people and like people underneath this tent tonight. America was founded for people. It was founded for people to practice the Bible and have a government to follow biblical principles. Not go against the Bible, but to follow biblical principles. We were founded by a government that would govern us to obey the will of God. Thank you, Brother Barnes. I thought I heard a ring, but that's okay. Everybody watch the monkey. I mean, uh, I didn't say the orangutan. We were founded as a Christian nation. I don't care what the liberals say. Thomas Jefferson was not an agnostic. George Washington did not hate God. Ben Franklin was not a disbeliever. If you read their own words, not what people say about them, but read their own words, you'll find that out. This is how God was able to bless America. We were founded on principles. We had leaders who had called days of prayer and fasting for our country. Political leaders, presidents, generals. During World War II, General Patton, during Christmas one year, declared a fast and a prayer that every soldier in the Third Army uh, would, would pray and fast so that they could win the battle. Hmm. Seems like the farther away from God we get, the less of God's blessing on America we have. I love the song, God Bless America, Land I Love. But may I say something? How about we have America bless God? It's not a matter of God blessing America. It's a matter of America being blessable by God. We've wandered so far from what God can bless. We have no right to ask God to bless us when we lift up the Sodomites. We have no right to ask God to bless us when we say that uh, it's okay to hate God and all gods are the same God, they just have a different name. God can't bless that. Isn't it amazing? They want to say they're all one God, but whose name do they use when they want to use a curse word? Now, the only hope we have listen to this, is a spiritual revival in our country. We need to get back to God. Isaiah chapter 3 is a picture of our nation today. It says that children would lead. It says that childlike people would lead. You talk a bunch bunch of babies, go to politics bunch of whiny, mamby-pamby little sissy britches. We've got laws that protect children, and we are now training adults to be children. We've got 30, 40, 50, 60-year-old babies. 
Well, we got to have everything we want. <laughs> we have people who try to oppress each other. Uh, we compete. We try to beat. Let's tear somebody down so we can take their position at work. We let fashion and beauty decide what people wear. Well, I hate to tell you, I am not about to let some whoremonger in Hollywood decide what my family wears. I'm dead sure not going to let some alphabet soup dude decide what I wear. If it wiggles when it's walking, I ain't wearing it. Sorry, ain't going to happen. Well, Jesus wore a robe and had long hair. No, he didn't. First of all, he didn't have long hair. Second of all, I don't care what they say. They didn't all wear robes back then, just so you know. The Bible talks about the men wearing breeches. Have you ever heard the term breeches? That's these. Well, uh, but, but, but I know you believe the Catholics too long. Somebody's got to tell you the truth. Well, they all had long hair back then. How come when you look at the uh, art from the, from the time of Jesus, none of the leadership had long hair? Huh. Now, <laughs> uh, now the Sodomites are not in hiding. And they're boldly saying, we're coming after your children. You've heard me preaching it for 10 years, folks. I've been preaching it for a long time. The Sodomites are after the kids. Why do you think they're changing it in the public schools? Why do you think it's okay to talk about, uh, and this is years ago, my, I have two daddies or I have two mommies. Teaching kindergartners that it's okay. This all started when they brought sex education into the public school system. That was the beginning of it. There's a lot of people got mad at preachers for preaching against it and preaching against public education, but look where we are today. There was a day when they were in the closet. Now they're boldly coming out saying, we're coming after your kids. Now, they have totally destroyed God's rainbow. They have perverted the rainbow. God's promise not to destroy the world by flood. What they're saying is they're literally thumbing their nose in God's face saying you're not going to destroy us. Well, I've read the last chapter of the book and guess what? He said he wouldn't flood them but he didn't say he wasn't going to burn them out. For us to go back to where God can bless America, then God's people need to be revived. For too long, the problem has been the church house, not the state house. The problem has been the pulpit, not the politics. If we want to see God bless this area, then it's going to be led by God's people, not by the lost people. Do you think the people out there in the bars are going to lead a revival for God? you think the people in the filthy pride parades are going to lead a revival for God? you think the lost world is going to come and just naturally turn their heart to God? 
No, it's not going to happen that way. If we are going to have revival in this area and reach Berkeley and reach Jefferson County and reach Boonesboro and reach all the areas around here that we reach, it's going to be reached by God's people and not by the lost world. In every generation where God has blessed, revival happened. And it took place because of God's people. It didn't always take place in the big cities. It took place in the little country churches. There was a man named Charles Spurgeon who was struggling as a young uh, teenager, crawled into a church one night during a snowstorm. It snowed so bad there was only eight people there. The pastor couldn't even get to the church. Deacon got up and preached. And a man named Charles Spurgeon got saved. A man shook two continents for God. Over a million people saved. Hang on for a moment. God will not use the lost world. He's going to use us. How are we going to see revival in our day? There was a young man that played baseball, played for the Chicago White Stockings. A man named William Sunday. One day he was sitting outside the Pacific Garden Mission, drinking with his buddies, and he heard them singing and playing and heard some preaching going on. And one day he decided he was going to go in and find out what was going on. And as a drunkard, he walked into the Pacific Garden Mission. And William Sunday, as a professional athlete, bowed his head and trusted Jesus Christ as a Savior. Billy Sunday began to preach and had over a million people walk an aisle for salvation, as did Charles Spurgeon. May I read some words to you? I'll just read their words to you, not my words. Hang on here. Here's a quote from Charles Spurgeon. Now, first notice, they are to be cast out. They are not to go, but when they come to heaven's gates, they are to be cast out, talking about lost people. As soon as hypocrites arrive at the gates of heaven, justice will say, there he comes. He spurned a father's prayers and mocked a mother's tears. He has forced his way downward against all the advantage mercy has supplied, and now there he comes, Gabriel, take the man. The angel binding you hand and foot holds you one single moment over the mouth of the chasm. He bids you look down, down, down. There is no bottom, and you hear coming up from the abyss sullen moans and hollow groans and screams of tortured ghosts. You quiver, your bones melt like wax, your morrow quakes within you. Where is now thy might? Where is thy boasting and bragging? You shriek and you cry, you beg for mercy, but the angel with one tremendous grasp seizes you fast, then hurls you down with a cry. Away, away, down you go to the pit, that bottomless and roll forever downward, downward, there finding a resting place for the soles of your feet, you shall be cast out into hell. Does that sound like some nice guy? Should I keep reading? And where are you to be cast to? You're to be cast into outer darkness. You're to be put into a place where there will be no hope. By light in scripture we understand hope. But you are put into the outer darkness where there is no light, no hope. Is there a man here who has no hope? I cannot suppose such a person. One of you perhaps says, I, I'm 30 pounds in debt. 
That's not talking about your weight, by the way. Uh, and shall be sold up by and by, and I have hoped that I may get alone and so escape my difficulty. Say another, my business is uh, ruined, but, but things may take a turn yet. I have hope. Says another, I'm in great distress, but I hope that God will provide for me. Another says, I'm 50 pounds in debt. I'm sorry for it, but I will set things, the, these strong hands to work and do my best to get out of it. One of you thinks a friend is dying, but you have hope that perhaps the fever may take a turn that it may yet live. But in hell, there is no hope. They have not even a hope of the dying of hope to be annihilated. They are there forever, forever, forever lost. On every chain in hell is written forever. In the fire there blazes uh, uh, out forever. Up above their heads they read forever. Their eyes are galled and their hearts are pained with the thought that it is forever. Oh, if I could tell you tonight that hell would one day be burned out, that those that were lost might be saved, there would be a jubilee in hell at the very thought of it, but I cannot. It's forever, and they are cast into outer darkness. Boy, y'all thought I was hot. Billy Sunday. Saw over a million people saved. Preached a sermon called Get on the Water Wagon and preached against liquor. Billy Sunday would go into a town and preach revivals and he would preach in factories and he would preach on street corners and he would preach in great coliseums and the bars would dry up and the cities would go dry and they would outlaw liquor. So many people got saved that the liquor sellers couldn't even make money. I'm sworn eternal uncompromising enemy of the liquor traffic. I ask no quarter, I give none. I have drawn the sword in defense of God, home, wife, children, and native land. I will never sheath it until the undertaker pumps me full of embalming fluid. And if my wife is alive, I think I shall call her by to my bedside and say, Nell, when I'm dead, send for the butcher and skin me, and have my hide tanned and made into drum heads and hire men to go up and down the land and beat the drums and say, My husband, Bill Sunday, still lives and gives the whiskey gang a run for its money. I love it. Would to God we had men of God like that today. Oh, now we have churches that serve liquor. Every Catholic church in America does. Let's face it. Here's a man that saw over a million people won to Christ. Now watch this. Another man named Brother Lester Roloff. Oh, I love Brother Roloff. Oh, let me read another one from Brother Billy Sunday. <laughs> I love this. I tell you, there's hardly a city on earth that doesn't need to be taken down to God's bathhouse and have the hose turned on it for righteousness and truth in the name of our Lord. Our preacher, uh, one preacher came out to me in Iowa and said, Mr. Sunday, what we need is an ethical revival. I said, forget it, bud, forget it. You can starve to death on that ethical stuff. Sure you can. Go to hell with that ethical revival. What we need is a revival that will give us a better home. I didn't say it, he did. I just read it. <laughs> Dr. Lester Roloff, good old brother Lester. Love the old man. Nobody could preach like brother Roloff. I'm not sure you called it preaching. He just wandered and shouted a while. But you talk about a man that walked with God. Brother Roloff reached the derelicts. He reached the drunkards. 
He reached the whoremongers. He got people out of jail. He had the murderers. He had people uh, who were sentenced to, to life in prison, gotten out and gotten into his homes, and uh, he, he brought them back. Thousands and thousands and thousands of them. May I read some words that he used to preach? 1960? 1960. That's before I was born, Brother Scott. Yeah. <laughs> Shut up. The very desperation of this hour, the destitution of our world, the black clouds of destiny in the impending judgment and doom hang over this Christ-rejecting, God-defying, and Bible-denying world is enough to drive us to our knees. 1960. We've emphasized psychology, sociology, theology, but our need is neology. Therefore, we called for our workers and our ministry to their needs for the word of God and prayer every day at noon. We are setting the last Thursday of every month as a day of fasting and prayer. The devil and some friends have tried to convince us we've tried to do too much with too little, but I must affirm one more time that faith must always be ahead of sight. When nothing whereon to lean remains, when strongholds crumble to dust, when nothing is sure but that God still reigns, that just uh, the time to trust is better to walk by faith than sight, in this path of yours and mine, in the pitch black night with no outer light, that time of faith is to shine. When the Bible is in our hands, we have only the promise of God's provision, but we believe that it is sufficient. Hospitals, reform schools, and penitentiaries are not the answer. At the city of refuge, we present a faithful Christ for falling men. Jesus stood on the shore near the fisherman's failure and said, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a drop. To which they said, We have toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, and my friends, the word brought faith and fish. I got a text last night from a man a few weeks ago. Came to our church and got baptized. Been a drunkard for over 20 years. He's tried every program under the sun. Oh, he's not perfect. But I, I spent some time with him and counseled with him. Came to church, got baptized. I got a text from him last night. He's lost his family, lost his marriage, everything. Lost his home, his jobs. He, <laughs> He said, Preacher, since I got baptized, he said, I don't even have a desire to drink anymore. He said, my wife and I are working on reconciling, and God's just doing something. <laughs> Say, Preacher, is it that easy? Yeah, it's that easy. When you get God in on it, it can work. And I told him, I said, it's not going to be a perfect road. You might make some mistakes, Doc, but it's okay. We love you. Come on in. Can I tell you something? I'll take that any day. I'll take that over Mr. or Miss Perfect that have to come in and everybody has to pay them attention. Give me an old drunk who wants to get his heart right and get things right and watch God clean him up and watch what God can do. Say, what's that? That's called revival. My hero, man that I know, my mentor, Brother Hiles. Billy Sunday. Dwight Moody, Charles Spurgeon were the only three men in the world to ever have a million people walk an aisle for Christ. Dr. Jack Hiles had over 2.2 million people walk an aisle. The only man in world history. 
Say, well, do you think he was God? Of course I did. <laughs> you think I think he's God? No. But after you've had more than two million people saved, maybe you can tell me a little bit about building churches and building a ministry for God. If it worked for him, maybe we ought to try some of those things, don't you think? May I read some words from Brother Hiles? I get weary of, in my soul, of everybody being dogmatic but the preacher. Everybody can holler but the preacher. Martin Luther King can holler. Abernathy can holler, Rap Brown can holler, Carmichael can holler, all the racists can holler, all the pacifists can holler, emotional men caught up in running for office, but let a preacher get a little bit excited and beat the pulpit and holler a little bit, and somehow he becomes a fanatic. I tell you, my brother, people are never going to sit up and take note of the gospel of Jesus Christ until we get as excited about the truth as they do about their filth and rot. If the trumpet play an uncertain sound, who's going to know the battle is on? It's time the pulpits, uh, that the pulpits uh, made a certain sound. Why? Same reason they had back in Israel's day. The preacher is supposed to be the man on the wall. The prophet uh, Ezekiel had written uh, in Ezekiel 3, and again in chapter 33, twice the Lord said, I have set thee as a watchman on the wall. If you see Israel in their sins and do not warn her, she will die in her iniquity, and her blood will I require at your hands. But if you warn her, if you blow the trumpet, he says, and she dies in her iniquity, her blood will I not require to her hands. Now you say uh, what you want to say. You call me a bigot. You can call me what you want to call me. But I'm not going to let the people take over our children and rob their minds and ruin their lives and uh, distort their futures and wreck their decency. I'm going to let it happen without, uh, not going to let it happen without sounding the trumpet and saying the enemy is on his way. There's nothing wrong in Hammond that preachers could not cure tonight. Where I, while I'm standing here, there are dozens of them sitting at home watching television with closed doors and the lights out in their churches. They call themselves men of God. No wonder our nation's headed for hell. No wonder our young folks have lost their decency. No wonder our schools have lost their honor. No wonder our politicians have lost their dignity. Why? Because men of God who have been placed as watchmen on the wall to blow the trumpet have not sounded the trumpet because uh, of that the average American doesn't know much of anything anymore. The trumpet plays an uncertain sound and folks do not know what it means. Well, we need to get preachers back to preaching. I don't believe every one of our children ought to grow up and be preachers and preachers' wives, but I think we ought to have a bigger percentage of them grow up and be preachers and preachers' wives. I think our young people need to be willing to give their life to serve God. <laughs> I didn't give anything up to serve God, Brother Anthony. Man, I'm having the time of my life. <laughs> Say, well, preacher, what would you have done? Been ashamed. Uh, we don't need to be socially and politically correct. We need to be biblically correct. Amen. We don't need to try to impress the intellectuals. They know a lot of facts about lies and can't tell you what the truth is. We need to get back to let God be true and every man a liar. We will never have revival with rock concerts and country clubs as church. I am sick up to my ever-loving gizzard with churches calling themselves church and they act like a country club. Act like a rock concert. <laughs> it's not God's way. 
you won't find it in the Bible. <laughs> we had visitors here this morning. I'm always a little leery after church, Dr. Chaco. Especially when you preach like I did this morning. And I saw him and I thought, well, here I go. I'm going to shake their hand. Hopefully he doesn't hit me. He's three times my size. I said, good to have you this morning. He said, we've been looking for a King James only Bible believing soul winning church. He said, I think we found one. I said, I said, you don't have to think. I can tell you, you're found one. He said, I noticed that. He said, I haven't heard preaching like that in a long time. I didn't say what I usually say because I was trying to be nice. I didn't say, don't blame me for where you went to church. But uh, I did say, uh, the door's open. We'd love to have you come back. I said, I'm always a little leery with visitors because it's either duck or pucker. He said, well, I ain't kissing you, but I enjoyed it. <laughs> I said, I already like you. <laughs> hey, what happened to men of God that would be men of God? What happened to church is it would be church. We're not supposed to appeal to the flesh. We're supposed to let God come down and move and change us. Number two, revival can only come when God's people are moved to action and obedience to the Bible. There used to be a song sung when I was a teenager. I'm tired of being stirred and not being changed. I've watched a lot of Christians stirred over the years, Brother Anthony. 43 years of preaching, I've watched a lot of people stirred, but few of them ever change. Your heart might move, you might cry, you might feel compassion, you might be stirred inside, but if you leave and never change what God did to you, what good was the stirring? Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people, which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I forgive their sin and heal their land. It's not going to be just because you pray. You got to turn from the wickedness. You got to go do something. James 1, 22, 23 and 24 says, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. Because if a man be a hearer of the word and not a doer of the word he beholds his face in a glass in other words it's like looking in a mirror saying oh isn't that wonderful yeah we can get enamored with how good we are and think because we're sincere we know it all and you don't know squat you need the holy spirit of god to kick the snot out of you and the sweat out of you and get you up off your blessed assurance and go do something Oh, we've got the full assurance of our faith and faith of our fathers and thank God for it. But if you do nothing with it, what good is it? Amen. Truth it, that does not go to action is worthless truth. You can know all the verses in the Bible, but if you don't ever share it with a lost person and tell them how to get saved, what good was your knowledge? Amen. You can read your Bible three hours a day, pray three hours a day, but if you never help somebody, you never talk to somebody, you never bring anybody to church, you never do anything for God, you only did it for yourself. Our spirituality is not so that we can put a pin on and say, look at me, the closer you get to God, you ought to be saying, woe is me. You younger Christians, I'm not talking about young in age, but newer to Christianity and this type of Christianity. For a while, as you start growing, you're going to feel like you're a little farther away from God. That's a good sign. 
The closer you get to God, the farther away from him you're going to feel. Say, what do you mean? Because the closer you get to him, you see how great he is and how sinful you are. These preachers that get up and say, oh, I got a vision of God. Look at me. Well, anytime I see anybody in the Bible that got a glimpse of God, they always said, woe is me, not look at me. Woe is me, I'm unclean, I'm undone. Hey, none of us are good. There's none of us that are good. None of us are as good as we think we are. God says that we're to humble ourselves, not show off how wonderful we are, not pretend how spiritual we are. Men, we need a revival of men that are spiritual. I'm for tough, hard men. I thank God for our men. Yesterday, it was like herding mules down here. Man, I had a dozen men down here, and everybody's got their own way, got want to do it. And I let everybody struggle. I finally said, yeah, this way. Okay, preacher. Everybody had their own idea, and I let them go till it was about ready to get into a fist fight and say, okay, let's do it. Got one pushing, one pulling, and one going the other direction. Hang on. Now, wait a minute. We need to humble ourselves, man. If we're so rough and tough and hard that we won't stop and tell somebody about Jesus, what good is it? <laughs> I'm going to brag on somebody. I don't do it very often. But Brother Scott, Brother Scott can break anybody in half. Yeah. But I watched that man this morning during the invitation walk back and walked a teenage girl down the aisle and had her make a public profession. Another man came down the aisle and needed to get saved. I said, Brother Scott, he needs to get saved. Watched him take the New Testament and kneel over here and win that man to Christ. Talked to him about baptism. Family's getting baptized next week. That's a real man in God's eyes. When's the last time you looked for somebody to tell about Jesus? When's the last time? And, and Brother Scott's not perfect. We know that. Yeah. Yeah. Can I tell you something? But he loves the Lord. He's teaching Sunday school. He preached at the mission on Friday night. That's a, Brother Scott's not a preacher, per se, but he cares about people. He studies his Sunday school lesson. He gives those kids everything he's got. He gave the mission men more than they wanted, probably. <laughs> say, why? Scott knows where he came from. He's never lost sight of that. Hey, I've never lost sight of where I came from. As a 13-year-old boy, I surrendered to preach, and I, would, I lived about five blocks from the church I went to, and I would leave an hour before my folks would. I just wanted to get to church be the first one there. I'd walk, and I'd pray, and I'd walk, and I'd pray, and I remember walking up Elwood and turning left on 12th Street and going over to the uh, manor, I believe it was, and turn right and go up. And I'd say, God, would you use me someday? God, could I do something for you someday? I never dreamed this. I just wanted God to use me. I was a nobody. I'm still a nobody, thank God. But I was humble enough. I remember one day, it's coming back from soul winning, one Tuesday night, cold, kind of one of those 
half snow, half rainy nights. You, you know, one of those really ucky nights. I had walked home from soul winning, and I got about halfway home, and I felt somebody shaking my shoulder. And I looked up, and there was three or four people there, and a car had stopped. And the guy said, young man, are you okay? I said, I'm fine. Why? He said, you're kneeling on the sidewalk. And I didn't even realize I had stopped, and I was just begging God to use me. I said, sure, I'm, I, I'm fine. I'm praying. He said, maybe you ought to go home and do it out of the weather. I said, maybe so. That's how bad I wanted God to use me. Do you want it that bad? Would you rather have your way or God's way? Is it a matter of in your home you want it your way or God's way? We need to learn to pray. I'm not talking about, oh, God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Jeroboam and Rehoboam and Jehoshaphat and all the other fat guys. And eh, eh. I've listened to people praying. God goes, gag. God's not impressed with our words. God's impressed when somebody will just talk to him. Can I tell you something? You can just talk to God and beg him. Ask him for help. Seek his face. How do I seek his face? Get into the Bible every day. He also says turn from our wicked ways. Wicked ways. Maybe we ought to go home and look what we have that's wicked. Maybe we ought to Take some of the books that we have and get rid of them. Maybe we ought to take some of the video games and videos and different things we have and get rid of them. Maybe there's things in our, our cabinets or closets or whatever. Maybe we need to bring them to church tomorrow night and lay them at the altar and say, God, you can have it and leave it there. We'll take it, put it on a burn pile and burn it for you. How much, you say, well, preacher, I, I don't want somebody to know. Uh, maybe it would humble you enough to where you wouldn't go back and do it. How much do you really want to seek God's face? Everybody doing all right? We need to be more like the Bible and less like the world. How we talk, what we do, our entertainment, our marriages, our homes, and our sinful habits. If it's cigarettes, bring them to the altar and leave them there. Bottle of alcohol, bring it. <laughs> we'll get rid of it. We'll light the fire with it or whatever. <laughs> Can I tell you something? I don't care what it is. I really don't. Say, why should I do that, preacher? Because that's what's going to bring revival in your life and in our church and in our area. We need to be concerned about people getting saved and coming to church and obeying God, not how we look to other people. Do you know that the intellectuals don't bother me? I've met Dr. Fat Bottom and uh, Dr. Mess Him Up and all the others. Well, you're just one of those fundamentalists. Heavy on fun and no mental. Oh, I've heard them say it all. And I look at him and say, why do you need an easier Bible to understand? Well, 
they're the, the more common authority agrees on. I said, well, dude, you can't get any higher of authority than God. You're looking at the wrong authority. And you might think you're smart, but when you wake up in hell, you're going to realize you're a fool. <laughs> uh, well, is the college you go to, is it accredited? Why do I want to be accredited by the world? Why do I need the people that don't even know if they're a man or a woman tell me that I can or cannot have a school? You think they're the authority on education? Look how many people can't read and write that come out of the public schools. Look how many of you don't remember, <laughs> know much about the truth. Because of where you went to school. And think of how bad it is now. Hmm. Let me ask you a question. I'm done. You want to be a part of the solution or still be a part of the problem? You want to continue as drifting along the life and just enjoying as it comes? Or are you willing to seek God's face for revival? I don't know about you, but I've stood on this very spot. I've walked every inch of this ground more times than you could count. I walked it before we ever had a building sitting up there. I walked in grass this deep. Right through here. Bull thistle. Grabbing the tar out of me. Saying, God, if you give it to us, we'll use it to reach people. We'll use it for eternity's sake. We'll build it. We'll do everything we can. We'll reach every person in this area we can. We'll support missionaries the right kind around the world. We'll get the gospel to every person we can get it to. Do you want to be a part of the solution or a part of the problem? Are you willing to be a Second Chronicles 7.14 Christian? If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways look what god's doing in our church you realize almost every week for ten and a half years i don't know that we've gone a seven day period in ten and a half years and not seen somebody get saved that's unheard of say how does that take place preacher <laughs> somebody's out there doing it We've got to stay busy doing it God's way, not man's way. Oh, we could get a crowd doing other things. I'm not worried about the crowd. I'm worried about pleasing God. God will take care of the crowd. We just got to start reaching other people. Do you really want to have revival? How bad do you want it? How badly do you want it? Every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm done. I read from preachers of yesteryear as much as 150, 160 years ago. Their words sound as true as they are today as I preached this morning. Say why? Because it's the ever eternal words of God. Who'd say preacher? God's talking to my heart tonight. I want to be a part of the revival. Don't just want to coast. Would you raise your hand? Well, my soul, most every hand, you may put them down. Let's find out what the action is. 
Brother Randy begins to play. Let's stand to our feet. If you raised your hand, you ought to come to an altar and kneel. Maybe you need to bring something to church. Lay it at the altar tomorrow or bring it to me personally if you don't want to. But you come. If you want to kneel at your chair, you do, but many ought to come. Are you willing to tell somebody about Jesus? Are you willing to kneel and pray? Are you willing to get a hold of God? How important is it to you? If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves. Oh, it's not going to be the lost world. It's going to be us. Grace Baptist Church, we have an opportunity to reach an incredible area. We have the opportunity to see God shake this area. But we're not going to do it our way. We're going to do it His way. It's not going to be done the religious way. It's going to be done the biblical way. 